The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome to Just End the Show, Episode 3, the first of two Patriots Lost Reaction shows we will be doing this year. <laughs> Death, taxes, getting our asses kicked by the New England Patriots. It happens every year, usually twice a year, and we're here to cover this one. A pretty ugly 25-6 to loss to New England. Kevin, you're the only one who actually saw this game live because Colin and I were at a wedding that Sunday. <laughs> Consider yourself lucky. My friend Matt is getting married in Howard Beach. I'm out on Long Island. I'm in Port Jeff. You know, unless we're doing a gambling segment, then obviously I live in New Jersey. But I'm in Port Jeff. I've got Colin's wife in the car with me for most of that time. Not Colin, mind you, because he's in the wedding party. He's got to be there early for photos. And I'm just yelling at Bob (laughs) Washusen and Marty Lyons on ESPN Radio as Zach Wilson (laughs) goes out there and throws not one, not two, not three, but four interceptions. Count them. Four. Was this game as bad as it was described to me over the radio? <laughs> well, that's that's a great question. It was a terrible game to watch in the sense, or let me let me put it this way. It was Zach Wilson's performance made this an unwatchable game. Your your virgin eyes did not need to see. Not that your eyes are virgins because, you know, this is a Jets podcast. But you know what I'm saying. Shout out to my friend Matt Goldstein for getting married on that Sunday and just sparing my eyes from this game. We've hit so many rock bottoms that we don't even know which one is really rock bottom. <laughs> it's a rockier. There's a newer, rockier bottom. <laughs> and we found it. There's there's always a newer, newer, rockier bottom for this team. <laughs> oh, man. I went back and watched the highlights of this game. All four of those interceptions were Zach's fault, which was tough. I thought maybe the one that, that, that second interception that went through Corey Davis's hands, Corey Davis after the game even said... That's on me. I should have had it. But that's a high throw. Absolutely. And it's a, and he's not open on that play. I mean, that's not open in the NFL. You've got Elijah Moore was running wide open underneath. Yeah, that's 100% true. Um, the Davis catch was definitely the one of the four where, yeah, that ball's high. Um, and like you said, there was an easier option uh, below. And obviously, like, Robert Sala in the press conference made the comment about that he needs to be okay with playing boring football and that he wasn't doing that in this, um, which I think I agree with, though. The problem with this game in general is the just the Wilson turnovers, and it's so uh, maddening because I feel like we spent the first two episodes of this podcast saying, well, uh, what are going to be the big problems with the team this year? Well, it's going to be the fact that the defense can't stop anybody. It's going to be the holes in the secondary. It's going to be the fact that there's just not enough offensive talent maybe outside of the receiving core. And they got 16 points off of turnovers, and this team lost by 19 points. So the turnovers are what cost them this game, and there's really nobody to blame but Zach for that. This is what Bill Belichick does, right? Bill Belichick eats rookie quarterbacks for lunch. So you knew he was going to have something schemed up for him. But I don't even think this is like a Patriots Bill Belichick scheme thing. I mean, he's just making bad decision after bad decision. If we want to go turn uh, uh, interception by interception, I would say the first one is one where you could say, well, that's a bad rookie move. 
you know, he's forcing a throw in there, but at least that also bounced up in the air a couple of times and could have easily landed uh, incomplete. The second one was the Davis through the hands, but the last two were the ones that were really daggers for me. The third, the third's just a terrible decision where you did that's that you just see from somebody like a backup quarterback in the league, um, just trying to force it. And the fourth one, I, I, I almost have to in my heart like believe that somebody ran a wrong route because there's nobody even in the same area code as who he's throwing to, or not on the Jets anyway. So it was a disastrous performance from that standpoint. Not only, and, and not to mention the fact that there were a couple of near interceptions that were dropped. I mean, he easily could have had six in this game. And we want if you want to get into the other uh, positions on the team, it'll be a easier subject to get into because I think uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised by the performance of the defense. I was ple- pleasantly surprised by the performance of the offensive line who le- who we spent the entire last episode eviscerating, and I think rightfully so. And they did do one of those things that they always do in the broadcast where they're like, well, you know, they spent the the offensive line spent the whole week, you know, really analyzing their performance and what went wrong. And you go, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. Seemed like maybe that was actually true. It seems like they made they made better decisions in this game and just executed better. I thought that uh, we saw some good performances from Ty Johnson. We saw good performances from Michael Carter. Elijah Moore played a really good game. The defense was great and or, or or was I shouldn't say great like they're a great defense but played well and kept them in the game and actually put a lot of pressure on Mac Jones, McCorkle, I'm sorry. And uh you know, I uh so from every other standpoint outside of uh Wilson, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the rest of the team. You know, I just want to congratulate the Jets on once again finding like a different new interesting nuanced way to break our hearts, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they always find a way, and I completely agree with you, Kevin. There's like a weird amount of positive takeaways from a 25-6 to 6 stomping by the Patriots. The run game, right? I mean, we, we've talked for two straight episodes how bad this run game is going to be, then how bad the run game was against Carolina, and all of a sudden, they go out and they run the ball all over New England. It's, it's Carter, it's Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson. The line looked great, like you said. I think Greg Van Roden had a tough day, the right guard and pass protection. But outside of Van Roden, I thought Font actually played really well. Morgan Moses looked good. They were manhandling the Patriots up front, not just on offense, on both ends. They were getting consistent pressure on Mac Jones. Kev, I don't know if it was the all-white jerseys or it's the Sala factor or it's, you know, C.J. Mosley coming in trimmer this year. But that defense looked fast. They were flying around today. Yeah, no, they I agree. Yeah, they they were fast. Even Bill Simmons of all people like Quam commented like, "Wow, the Jets defense might actually win them a couple games." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure this is the only time he's watched them all year and probably will be except for the other time they play them. But <laughs> no, I agree. The defense looked good. I think that they were able like you said create co- constant pressure. The secondary didn't really come into it as much. I feel like once again kind of like in the Carolina game there were a lot of short passes and uh, I don't know if the what the deal is with Jones if they don't trust him on on downfield passes I mean they they got burned on that long run play but other than that like there wasn't a ton of um it wasn't really a deep passing game from them at all um outside of like these gadget plays and stuff like that you know the kind of Belichick out of nowhere not flea flicker but whatever it is where you hand the ball off to the running back they ran a couple of those you know um and where they throw it so I don't know. It was I was surprised by the amount of the amount that the defense uh, kept them in the game. Um, You know, we're talking about a 10 point game at halftime. I mean, it wasn't you know, they weren't getting killed. 
and uh, or I guess it was a 13 point game at halftime, but still they weren't they were it was not a game that was out of reach. And I thought that the defense really was the reason for that. They were able to stop. They were able to get them to have huge losses. There was a sack that put the Patriots out of field goal range at one point, things that we just did not think that we were going to see with this defensive line. And again, I don't think the second Derry got tested very much in this game. And that could still definitely be a problem with uh, quarterbacks. They're going to sling it a little bit more. But, you know, like you said, a weird amount of potential good takeaways from a Patriots game we lost by a lot and where a quarterback threw four interceptions. So in a way, when you, the opening question where you said, is it was it as bad as it seemed on TV? In a weird way, no. But, of course, yes, because you see Zach Wilson getting booed in his first game. And on the one hand, I'm against booing a guy in his home opener. <laughs> you know, he's having a bad game. and you. Do, but on the other hand, I get it. You waited this entire COVID offseason to see this team play, and you're excited to see your new quarterback, and he totally ruined the game for the team, and there's just no other way to put it. Yeah, I feel like we've almost legislated booing enough just talking about the Mets, right? We went through the, <laughs> the Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, thumbs down scandal. It's like, listen... When you play poorly in New York, you're going to get booed. When you play well in New York, you're going to get cheered. I don't understand oftentimes whether it's the athletes themselves or the media have like a tough time with that concept. <laughs> but listen, this is a tough town. And, you know, obviously Zach expected to get some boos, and he said he deserved those boos in his postgame interview. He did. Because you're right. I mean, that was really he, – he went out there. He lost them the game. I don't think the Patriots went out there and won this game. You talked about Mac Jones – and how he, again, he looked for the second week in a row of Mac Jones, he looked good, not great. He made one or two throws that I thought were really, you know, well done, touch throws into pretty good coverage where you say, okay, that's an impressive Mac Jones throw. Outside of maybe one or two plays, he's throwing to pretty much wide open guys and just taking what the defense gives him, which is exactly what Zach Wilson should have been doing because he's got receivers open on these underneath routes, these slant routes, these drag routes, and he keeps trying to be a hero. He keeps trying to hit the home run. So I think from an athlete perspective, Zach looks great, but it's just the stuff that's got to get coached out of him. He's looking at his first read. He's staring down that first read, and he's throwing that football to that first read, no matter what else is happening on the field. He's got to get coached up going into week three and going into year two. I mean, listen, he could throw all the picks he wants in year one. As long as he fixes that in the offseason, I think we've still got a bright future ahead of us. I want to talk about the secondary for just a minute because they were absolutely flying around in this game. I was really impressed with Javelin Gidry again, especially after Brandon Eccles went down. I thought that the corners really held their own. You had Adrian Colbert, his first start as a Jet at safety. I think Colbert actually played really well in this game. Bryce Hall was great on the other side at corner. So you've got some really good play in the secondary, which just goes to show you that we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to this team in Week 3 because the defense was good. The secondary was a strength of this team. Uh, the running game was awesome. The offensive line was awesome. And it was Wilson. And I'll even put a little bit of it on the receivers that were bad. So we're wrong about everything week to week. We have no idea what we're getting. This team is not going to win a ton of games, but they should be in some games based on what we saw, right? I mean, if we if Wilson throws two picks instead of four, this game's probably a W. Go back to the first quarter. Wilson's already thrown two interceptions, right? And so it's 10 nothing Patriots. He's thrown the second pick. The Jets have a first and goal 
I, I believe it was the eight yard line or something like that. If they punch that in, it's a 10 seven game and they're right there, even two interceptions deep. So it's really that third one. That was that momentum killer, right? It was that, that third pick killed any chance they had to win this game. And I think that phony non fumble was sort of a huge momentum shift for the jets. The, the defense stands up. They, they force a field goal. You know, first they get a stop on that first drive. Then they force a field goal deep in their own end. They get what should have been a turnover. That could have been a real momentum swing for them. So that was, I think, a tough call by the referee. Obviously, it's a forward progress stopped, so it's not a challenge. My ass, play. it's a forward progress stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only a, a forward progress stop because they knocked out the ball. I mean, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. Obviously, we don't have the master deflator Tom Brady over there on the sidelines. But it, it always seems like something weird with the officiating happens every time we play New England. Am I wrong? It's always something. I mean, the Patriots clearly fumbled the ball, and they it was the stupid thing where they blew the whistle so they can't they they can't review it, which just makes no sense at all, but it's just one of those things. So, And it was like one of those moments where you go, oh, it's going to be one of these kind of days. I didn't think four interception kind of day, but one of these kind of days. It's always something. Just shaky throughout. I mean, also, like, not for nothing, like, the Jets got away with a very blatant uh, <laughs> uh, pass interference. Um, I think that was in the third quarter where it was just, you know, one of those where you watch the replay and go, well, I hope that that was a makeup call maybe for the first thing, but <laughs> I don't think that happens as much in football as it does in basketball, the makeup call situation. But it can happen. <laughs> In terms of you were saying about this team being able to hang in games, I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I think weird to come out of a game like this with optimism, but if the defense is going to be that fast and be able to put pressure on quarterbacks like that, I mean, we are you know the the AFC East is just littered with young quarterbacks. You know, it's just every you know it's just a young quarterback division and. I think, you know, if they're able to put that kind of pressure on, well, wh- whoever's going to be starting for the Dolphins, but then also um, even in games, I think that they could potentially put a little bit of pressure on Josh Allen. D- don't get me wrong. I think that the Bills are a much better overall team. But, you know, so even in division, there's a little bit of optimism there. I did not walk away from this game. Like you said, uh, the Jets lost. The Patriots didn't win one of those uh, classic things. I-, I agree with that. I did not walk away from this game with a lot of Uh, confidence in the Patriots moving forward it was so jarring to me to walk away from week one and just look at the team and go well kind of the they are who we thought they were thing you know like it it was what lost them that game it was offensive line play it was bad defensive play and it was Christian McCaffrey running all over them the linebacker play seems to maybe be a consistent problem with them or at least to the extent that both the Uh, Panthers and in this Patriots game again it doesn't seem like it's usually the secondary that's getting torched as much as it is these short passes over the center uh, just these slot receivers that seems to be a major issue for them that's one thing that I saw from both week one and week two that you can complete passes over the middle with this team and but in terms of yeah in terms of putting pressure on the quarterback in terms of defending the run in terms of defending I mean there are multiple plays where Patriots were tackled for a loss on, you know, kind of lateral passes or toss plays or any like things. It's not easy to gain yards by throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage on this Jets team. And they're defending the run okay, and they're putting pressure on the quarterback. Those are the good things. And like I said, for the offensive line, I really feel like they actually held up. Wilson 
was flushed out of the pocket, sure, but he wasn't getting knocked down. He wasn't getting harassed nearly as much as he was in the Patri- in the uh, Panthers game. I just think that uh, there are positive signs coming out of this, and if what Sala is saying in that press conference that he wants to kind of coach Wilson into taking the take the guy who's open seven yards downfield instead of the twenty yard downfield, take whatever whatever it is, right? The boring football thing, the boring football comment that people are bringing up. Obviously, I think there's a certain amount that you can coach that, and there's a certain amount where obviously the ball's in his hands and he has to make that decision. Um, so it's one of those things that I'm going to cling to, hey, he's a rookie. Hey, it's uh, you know, it's his second game, and he's making some bad decisions. So you know, if he, if he can turn it around and then we, we get less turnovers here, and the defense, like you say, a couple things, couple things go differently. The fumble call goes differently. He doesn't throw that third pick. If they can punch it in on that play, just all the things you were saying then we're looking at a different game here. And so I'm not super optimistic about our chances against Denver because I really think that defense is probably for real, and I think that uh, they can move the ball pretty well. But just for the rest of the season, I think that there's a possibility that this team can get wins, especially if the defense can hold up like that. That's to me, is the biggest thing. Yeah, and I think that's a really good observation you made about the linebackers, Kev, because I like the way that skinny C.J. Mosley is flying around, but outside of Mosley, you're right. There seems to be, I mean, it looks, and it's a young group. There's going to be some inconsistencies, but mid-year, when they should have Blake Cashman back, they might even have Jared Davis back. I think when you've got your outside linebackers, Cashman and Davis, back to go with Mosley, I think we should see some improvements at the linebacker spot. And maybe some of those wins will come midseason. Let's take a break, actually, because I do want to get into the Week 3 matchup against the Denver Broncos. So... Next week, where the Jets will play the Denver Broncos in Denver, I don't think the Jets fare particularly well in Denver. But, I mean, I think this is an interesting matchup for the Jets, if nothing else, because I think the Patriots' defense is legitimate, and I think, like you said, that Denver defense is legitimate. So if they could move the ball on New England, and when they're not throwing the ball to the other team, I think that's kind of the matchup to watch, is how does the Jets' offense match up against the Denver defense. What doesn't scare me nearly as much is this Denver offense, and I'll tell you why. So they're missing Jerry Judy, who goes down week one. I don't think they've got the tandem at running back that the Patriots have in James White and Damian Harris, because we saw Damian Harris rip off some big runs. We saw James White rip off a couple of big runs. I don't think they have those kind of backs in Denver. If we don't turn the ball over on offense, I think this could be another winnable game. What are your thoughts on the Broncos, Kev? Yeah, I uh, agree definitely with the loss of Jerry Judy. That's a, that's going to be a huge factor in this. I mean, it's a huge factor for Denver in general. And I guess I overall agree with the offensive point. I actually think uh, I actually think Bridgewater's played pretty well. Um, but you brought up the point that uh, they played the Giants and the Jaguars, right? Those are the two teams that they played. Yeah. Those are not exactly world-beating teams. Um, so... You know, I I did stare at this game a little bit in because we live in North Jersey. I'm staring a little bit at this game because uh, this line's going to be high. I know it was, it was already. I think Jets getting ten on Sunday night. I don't know if that's moved up or not. Yeah, I I would be surprised if the Jets lost this game by ten if the defense can play like that. The defense needs to be able to hang in, keep them in this game. If there is some possibility that Denver runs out to a huge lead. 
I'm not confident that this offensive unit can uh, can lead them back from that. But if the defense is able to at least uh, hang in there uh, and keep them close to a certain extent, I think that we're potentially looking at it. Uh, we could potentially be looking at a win. We would also need uh, a couple other things to break differently than obviously what happened with the Patriots, not just the interceptions, but like you said, the wide receiver play. Uh, which was su- pretty subpar, I think, outside of Elijah Moore in that game. Uh, Berrios didn't do a lot. Um, Davis had a tough game, not just the pick that went through his hands, but just felt like Wilson maybe was forcing it to him, but also he just wasn't making a lot of plays in that game that, that made you confident that he can be this kind of dominant wide receiver one. Uh, I was really high on him after the Panthers game, less so after this one. And... I don't know if we want to get into the whole Denzel Mims thing. Uh, I mean, I it just seems do. like the question on every yeah, <laughs> the question on everyone's lips is why is he not playing? What what is the deal with this? And apparently, as as far as the sources that I have read, it's that he is not comfortable with the playbook or that he is struggling to work into the offensive scheme. To which I would say, well, if you're having a quarterback go out and throw four interceptions, I mean, we're clearly uh, this is a very I mean, they're the young the Jets are the youngest team in the league. And you have a lot of young guys out there. I mean, I respect Salah enough to think he must he must not at all be confident in what's going on with Denzel Mims in practices and things that we don't see. But I mean, I don't understand why he's in a healthy scratch for for a week two game. I, I think he's too talented for to, for that, and I don't think that he's worse than Jeff Smith and some of these guys who are active. I would love to see an offense that had real uh, that had the ability to put Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, and Denzel Mims on the field, um, or at least be able to use to utilize his his talents. But I don't know how you feel about the whole Mims situation. I've been kind of a Denzel Mims stand since he got here. I think he's got the size, the speed. His route running even looked pretty crisp at times last year. I don't really understand the reluctance to play Denzel Mims. And if you look at Robert Salas' quotes in the paper, they're saying it's partially about Mims and it's partially about the other guys in the room just playing better than him, just being ahead of him on the depth chart. Salas saying, listen, Mims is going to play. We're not going to sit him forever, but he's got to prove to me that I could move him up in this depth chart. But to me, if you look at who the Jets are putting out there, you know, I like Berrios, no offense to Berrios, but you can't tell me that Jeff Smith is better than Denzel Mims. I'm sorry. You can't be playing Jeff Smith ahead of him. That I don't understand. And guess what? In week three, it's not going to get easier when you likely have Crowder who's going to have to be activated as well. Crowder sat out this game with a groin. He's off the COVID list. But assuming that Jamison's groin feels well enough, to play against Denver, that's one more obstacle for Denzel Mims. But yeah, I'm, I would sit Jeff Smith. If you watch the Patriots game especially, one of the problems with this team is that Zach Wilson is looking for Corey Davis too much. He's forcing the ball to Davis when he's got Elijah Moore wide open on the other side. The football pundits said that after week one. We noticed that against Carolina that Elijah Moore was open. Zach Wilson either couldn't see him or couldn't get it to him. And we saw it again in week two. Not enough Elijah Moore. Give me more, more. That's the lesson here. We'll see what kind of chemistry that Zach develops with Crowder, but give me more, more. And for God's sakes, give me Denzel Mims. Yeah, it's funny uh, with the more thing as as you look at the stats. Just the uh, I, I guess he had four for forty seven. 
I was impressed by his play. Him and Michael Carter both were ones that stood out to me in this game. I think that there's hope that these will turn into absolutely like real vital offensive weapons because obviously what was the thing we had the complaint about the Jets for the past few years, few years with Darnold was just a lack of offensive talent and offensive weapons. Sure, there were other things about Darnold too, right? Yeah, but... once Robbie Anderson left, I mean, who did he have? <laughs> yeah, once exactly. And uh and so he went where Robbie Anderson was, you know. The the Mims thing, I mean, you and I are both uh, you and I are both Mims stands, I think, and it's just I don't I don't fully understand it, but I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't know if anybody fully understands it. You know, outside of the the parties involved inside the organization as to w- what exactly is going on with that. If it is just the fact that uh, he feels like he's not ready, I, I, I'm I kind of resistant to that just because I don't like the idea of putting um, inferior talent on the field uh, as a means of kind of showing somebody something. That's a hot uh, take. You know, <laughs> well, well, it is, but I mean, <laughs> or it's not, it shouldn't be, but. I mean, I I don't yeah I don't get like you said I don't get moving him down the depth chart for that. It's a young team. It's a it's an inexperienced team. It's a team that is not gunning for any kind of real active success this season necessarily. It's so I would prefer to have the best young people out there trying to trying to make themselves something and again i would i would put uh more and i would put uh michael carter in that category where i think i'm glad i'm glad to see that happening with the team i'm not against them if this is going to be a full rebuild and we're not it's not going to be the perpetual jets rebuilding treadmill that just every year it's a rebuild if you're really going to do this then in some ways, maybe you do get a four interception game. Maybe you do get, you know, Denzel Mims totally blowing a route or something. I don't know. I, I would definitely just prefer to see him on the field and prefer to see Wilson with targets, like you say, that aren't just trying to force the ball to Corey Davis on every down. It's almost impossible to analyze these games week to week, right? Because we saw two completely different performances. We did. Out of two completely different position groups from week one to week two we have no idea what the strengths and weaknesses are of this team through two games we know that we're not good we know (laughs) that we're probably going to lose again on sunday right we know that the jets always are going to find a creative new way to blow a game of course but the only question is who's it going to be and when is it going to be it's kind of like looney tunes like you know that he's not going to catch the roadrunner but it's like we have like a different planet. We have a different Acme product every time that we do. It's like the rocket-powered roller skates. They're going to work this time. I don't think that Teddy Bridgewater is a massive upgrade. I think it's a slight upgrade over McCorkle Jones. Yeah. If you're talking about starting quarterbacks in the league, I think Teddy is solid if you let him do his thing. But if you take away what he's good at, if you take away the checkdowns over the middle to Noah Fant, because he's going to get those matchups against those young Jets linebackers and those young Jets safeties, that scares me. I think from what we've seen out of Gidry and what we've seen out of Bryce Hall, I'm almost not as worried about Cortland Sutton and KJ Hamler getting loose on us. I'm more worried about the tight ends in this game for Denver. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that, like I said, I think that that was the consistent thing that did happen between week one and week two was the consistent thing was inconsistent linebacker play from the Jets and it's a young squad and like basically the entire team is. Uh, But 
they've given up between short passes to McCaffrey in week one and some of the uh, play action stuff that was going on with New New England in this. It just was not it was not an impressive performance for short over the middle passes for the Jets. So, yeah, I agree with you. The tight end is going to be a problem. But if they can put some pressure on Bridgewater and not having Judy out there, not having somebody who can just go just run out and just torch the secondary as we go on with this show or talk about different games, I'm sure that. There's going to be times where we realize that when they're facing a team that has viable wide receivers, there's real issues with that secondary. But for yeah, for for now and for this matchup, I think um, yeah, the issue. I mean, you know, you hate to say it, but like if you were the Broncos right now, I'm assuming that that's something that they're looking at and saying, oh, they can't stop people over the middle, so you know that's going to be a weakness that they can exploit. But I'm cautiously optimistic that that either if Wilson can play more disciplined football in this and complete passes and keep them in the game and move the ball, and if the running and offensive line can hold up, that there's at least some possibility that I think that they I think that there's a I think that they can hang in on this game. That's going to be my bad prediction, and then we're going to come back next week and it's going to be 52 to nothing or whatever. But I think there's a possibility that they can hang in this game and. I think that there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. It's just, like you said, we don't know this team yet. And it might be a thing where we just keep not knowing from week to week because it's such a young squad and it seems like there's going to be inconsistencies from position group to position group. But I do kind of, outside of some of the the Mims things and, and, you know, maybe some of the play calling and something, uh, Hither and Jan, I, I believe in Salah so far to be able to uh, to be able to coach them into possibly pulling out games where they're beating a team that's ostensibly better like a like the Broncos. Yeah, I, I think the lines have been a little wacky on the Jets so far. I think the line of the Patriots was five. I think realistically people didn't think they were going to cover that and they didn't. Um, I think if the Jets are getting a double digit spread against Denver, I actually love the Jets with the spread in this game. And like you said, Zach Wilson can't play any worse, right? He cannot play any worse than he did against New England. I will go out in a wild prediction right now and say that Zach Wilson is going to throw fewer <laughs> than three interceptions in this game. Wow. I think he only throws a couple. I think they're in it until the end. I love the Jets with the spread. And if he could throw one or less, this is like a sneaky Jets money line pick, right? Because if you've got a double-digit spread, that means you've got a juicy money line. I would bet responsibly, bet responsibly, never, listen, never put a big wager on the New York Jets. Yeah. For any reason. No smart better yeah. ever puts a legitimate wager on the New York Jets. Ever. Bet responsibly, maybe, do a little sprinkling on that Jets money line this week if that spread ends up in double digits. I actually really like that bet. Yeah. I'm not going to go money line because that's too rich for my blood. But I would, I, I, in, in, a, in a parlay with some points, I could see it. And I was going to say the only thing that maybe takes the sting out of this loss is, uh, oh, look, I'm not going to say I bet against the Jets in this game because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a faithful fan and podcaster. But if we were talking separately outside of this, there's a possibility that I won money on the Patriots thing. But look, it's good. For, betting against the Jets is good for the soul. There's there's nothing like getting something in return for your misery, Kevin. You know me. I love betting against the Jets. I do it almost every week. I may have even done it the past two weeks. I'm not sure. Who's to say? Who's not to me. Say? We don't rat out our friends on the show. We love Gabagool. We're from North Jersey, and we love betting against the New York Jets because we love buying those wins or reaping those losses. That's right. 
Do we have a Jets Bets uh, theme song yet? I can come up with that, too, just as a sub-theme song for the Jets Bets segment. That would be great, yeah. I would love a little a little Jets <laughs> Bets soundbite, yeah, a little theme song. I didn't buy a Matt Amendola jersey yet, and I'm kind of glad because he did miss the one kick. But he, he made a couple others, so, you know, just uh, this is going to become just a Matt Amendola fan podcast at a certain point. So just wanted to give a quick quick update. I have not bought the jersey yet. I'm holding off. But if he hits like a 60-yard game winner, might have to go for it. Yeah, if you follow us on Twitter at Just End the Show, you know that we're a Denzel Mims stan account and that we're a Matt Amendola stan account. Kev, we didn't really talk about the special teams too much. Amendola made a 21-yarder look real sketchy. It was like a line drive kick that barely snuck in the left upright. Yeah, didn't look good. And then the one he missed, I believe, was a 53. He missed that wide left. And then you've got, so we've got the new punter, of course. We've got all-pro punter Thomas Morstead on the team. Yeah, Thomas Morstead. Because I, 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 that was one of those where the game started and I was like, they went to punt and I was like, wait, who is the punter now? So... That that was I was happy I was happy we have a professional back there. Not that Matt's not a professional. We don't know. He played he punted pretty well in that first game, but you don't want your your kicker to punt too. That's crazy. But yeah, uh, like I said, holding off. I'm I'm holding on the Amendola jersey buy until we get some 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 real heroics. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it from us here at Just End the Show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Just End the Show. Enjoy the games next week, everybody. Let's go, Jets. Kevin, take us out. Just End the Show. Just-